Uh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. What a good spirit here. I can tell by your conversations that you're glad to be at Grace Church this morning. Praise the Lord. Can we say praise the Lord this morning? Praise the Lord. It is good to be here. I have a few announcements for you. As you will notice, there's a large bus outside. That wasn't me. That wasn't me. Uh, there's a large bus outside that wants to take some of your blood. It's a great way for you to demonstrate the love of God if you're able, if you're able. Um, Wednesday, July 26th, we have, uh, the Wednesday evening service is dismissed. And remember that a category has been set up in Easy Tithe in our giving app for Missions Louisiana for the campground donations for your pledges. Uh, Saturday, August 5th, the Move the Mission Cheesy Chicken Spaghetti Dinner from 11 to 1. Uh, the sign-up sheet is in Grand Central, and I have a specific note letting you know what it is. It's cheesy chicken spaghetti, right? Green beans, because some of you have to have something healthy. And then peach cobbler. So $10, takeout only. And Saturday, August 12th, the 30th pastoral anniversary banquet at Forest Grove Plantation from 6 to 9. Please check the weekly email for a link to RSVP because we need a head count. You love the Lord this morning. Would you stand to your feet? Let's worship the Lord this morning. Let's give him a hand clap for praise. Yeah. 
Come on, we're going to worship our way through this battle. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. Do you have that faith this morning? If you take
Jesus has 
place right now. He wants to minister to you. If you could just open up your heart to receive what he has for you. He wants to give you joy. He wants to give you peace. He wants to give you that strength and that comfort today. If you would just open up your mouth and just cry out unto the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Just let him know, I am here and I'm here for you to do what you want to do with me. This is all for you. This is all for him today. Hallelujah. We lift him up. We praise his name. Thank you. 
spoke last Sunday to the adult Sunday school class, and we work regularly with the students in prayer on Sundays. There's the, the song just said, when I lift my voice and shout. There, there's just something about the vocal cords vibrating together and making a noise, about a sound coming out of your voice. The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person availeth much. I, there's, just, there's just something about a shout, a fervency, a, a sound coming forth that produces faith, it produces victory, and I believe it engages the presence of God to work on our behalf. So in this beautiful environment of praise and worship, the presence of God has settled so beautifully into this place. I wonder if you would just lift your hands one more time and lift your voice. Let a sound come from the depths. If you need anything from God, or if you're here today and everything's going okay, either way, let a sound come out of your mouth today. Let a shout go forth. It's a fervency. It's a shout. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus, we praise you in this place. Jesus, we activate our faith today. Jesus, we activate your name today to work on our behalf. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Everybody say in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, praise team. What a presence of God. What a power of God in this place. Thank you, for, as always, for leading us into the presence of God. I do want to take a moment and welcome everyone here this morning. We're so glad you're here. We have a host of guests with us today. Thank you for being at Grace Church this morning. And it is our prayer that this service would be a blessing to you. Those joining us on Facebook Live and live stream, we're so glad that you've chosen to make this service a part of your day. And I know it will make your day better and enrich your life. Amen. Grace Church, can we just welcome all of our guests today? Those joining us online. We have a host of people that are in St. Louis this morning uh, for the Senior National Bible Quiz Tournament. I believe it started on Friday evening. They quizzed yesterday. Be uh, more quizzing today, no doubt. Quizzing tomorrow. I believe it goes all the way through Tuesday. And so there is a host of folks out today with that event in St. Louis. And then we have a, a very large contingency of Grace Church leaving this coming week to also go to St. Louis for North American Youth Congress that begins on Wednesday. Amen. I checked the list again this morning. We have 39 from our church that will be attending Youth Congress. And uh, it's going to be a great, a great week. It really is. Brother Bernard said at camp meeting in his comments that they were expecting something like 35,000 at Youth Congress, so it's going to be a tremendous event. With all of that being said, uh, I want us to pray together. We'll pray over the Word and then go directly to our, uh, our message today. Um, in light of all of the travel and in light of everything uh, that I've just mentioned, service will be dismissed Wednesday night. We just have so many folks that will be gone. Uh, so our next time together as a church will be next Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. So mark your calendars for that. But I would like us to pray, and uh, I want to pray for the quizzers, uh, for all the folks that will be traveling this week, and then play, pray for Youth Congress, that God would just uh, do a tremendous thing uh, in uh, the lives of our students and, the, and in our movement this week. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together towards that end. Jesus, we thank you. 
for the presence that is here right now. Lord, your anointing is here, and it's the anointing that breaks every yoke. Lord, I pray for our Bible quizzers today. I pray for uh, all of those that are traveling this week, Lord. I pray for our church this week, Lord. And I pray for Youth Congress, Lord, in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray you would show yourself mighty, Lord, that we would sit in heavenly places. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Bring us together again at the appointed time next week, Lord, and we'd be careful to give you the praise. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. You've been standing a long time. Let's go straight to the Word of God, and then I'll let you be seated. And uh, we'll see what God has for us today. Let's go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. You may think we're going to have Christmas in July here this morning, but it's just a starting point, just a text that we'll, we'll move from into our, our comments today. Luke chapter, 20, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26, reading through 31. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. The angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at this saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. And then one verse of scripture, Luke chapter 2, verse 35, after Jesus is born, Mary and Joseph take him to the temple uh, to fulfill the law. And a prophet named Simeon speaks over Jesus prophetically. And then he turns to Mary and he says, uh, where, where we have it recorded in verse 35, speaking to Mary, yes, a sword shall pierce your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. From these verses of Scripture, today I would like to speak to you from this topic, when favor requires faith. When favor requires faith. God bless you, Grace Church. You may be seated this morning. She was just a young lady living in a time when women were marginalized and she probably seemed like the last person God would choose to work through. She was just going about her life doing the everyday things that a young Jewish girl would normally do in those days. When the angel of the Lord shows up and tells Mary that she is chosen of God uh, specifically so that God could use her womb to bring forth his son into the world for the purposes of redemption. You know, there are a lot of people in Scripture that we would say were favored of God, and we look to and marvel at the favor of God on their life. But if I had to choose one, I would say Mary is the one probably highest top of the list that is uh, most to me has, if you want to talk about favor on somebody's life, it would be Mary. I mean, when God sends an angel to tell you you have favor, I'd say that's favor. And 
I don't know how God could punctuate it more boldly than that, how more emphatically he could tell somebody they're favored and they're blessed of God. And I can't imagine what that moment was like for Mary. Put yourself in her shoes for a moment. Of course, we understand probably the, the, some intimidation, some fear, seeing an angel, not sure what all that, that the angel had to say meant. But, but in terms of a high spiritual watermark, in terms of, 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 of having an encounter with the with with supernatural, uh, imagine what that must have been like, hearing an angel tell you that you're favored of God and he has a very specific purpose for your life. Luke records Mary's response. Many scholars believe that Luke may have even gotten this uh, passage from a first-hand interview with Mary. Perhaps he sat down and, and took down first-hand what she had to say. We don't know that for sure, but sp scholars speculate. What he records, though, is an exultant celebration that Mary uttered. It came forth out of her being, praising God that she was favored, that she was anointed and blessed of God, that these promises had come from heaven to her. A high, high watermark. And Luke records in 1 and 46, Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit rejoiceth in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. This is a high spiritual experience. What a future lay before her. What favor lay, uh, rested upon her life. I imagine that she carried this experience with her for quite some time. Kind of this spiritual high, this watermark uh, in her life. Probably rejoicing for weeks in the knowledge that God's divine plan had intersected with her life and finding favor beyond what she could have imagined. This is where Mary found herself as just a young lady. But then things got real and life began to set in. That baby began to grow in her womb. She's an unmarried young Jewish girl and so she finds herself uh, ostracized from society, sideways glances, no doubt, from strangers, whispers behind her back from family. Joseph himself, her betrothed, was considering a divorce until uh, an angel appeared to him and told him to move forward with the marriage. I wonder how Mary felt about the favor of God while all of that was going on. And then things get physically uncomfortable with her pregnancy. Sleepless nights, indigestion, cravings for weird things like pickles and ice cream at the same time. And then the labor of childbirth. I don't stand here acting like I know anything about that, but it's physically uh, painful and exhausting. After having traveled all the way to Bethlehem for a senseless Roman census. She gives birth surrounded by a bunch of livestock in a far from ideal setting. 
If Mary was anything like you and I, and I'm certain she was, she must have wondered about how the favor of God was working in her life in that moment. It was no longer angels and promises and songs and spiritual revelation. Now it was starting to hurt. and It didn't look probably, I'm guessing, anything like what she imagined favor on her life would look like. And that wasn't even the worst that Mary would experience. Fast forward some 33 years and Mary finds herself standing at the foot of a Roman cross as her son that she brought into the world is tortured and put to death. And in that moment, Simeon's prophecy comes to pass. A, a Figuratively speaking, a sword pierces her soul. The pain of seeing the son she loves with a mother's love. Yes, he was the Messiah. He was Jesus Christ. We understand. But it was her son. It was, she was his mother. And she watches as that young man, 33 years old, that she brought into the world dies an, agoni an agonizing death. Simeon's prophecy is in parenthetical expression. It's in parentheses there. He's prophesying about wonderful things that Jesus will do as a Messiah. And then he, he looks at Mary and he says, by the way, a sword will pierce your soul with undisputed agony, and it happened there that day at the foot of the cross. And no doubt she, she, was, she was full of questions about, about all of the promises, the favor, the things that were supposed to happen. Wasn't, wasn't Jesus the Messiah? Wasn't he going to set Israel free? Wasn't this baby that I brought into the world part of some great big plan? Didn't, didn't God say he would save his people? And, and she had done her part. And no doubt at this moment, the big plans God seemed for her life, uh, plan for her life seemed to be null and void. The chosen vessel in the favor the angel prophesied seemed distant. And so Mary finds herself in a place where her favor requires her faith. I'm thankful today for the favor of God. In fact, I wouldn't want to live life without God's favor on my life and on my family. I'm thankful for, for favor. Most of you here today, whether you've had the Holy Ghost only a short period of time or for a very long time, you have experienced the beauty of the abundant life that Jesus Christ gives us. It's blessing. It's favor. It's anointing. And one of the great keys of success for any Christian is to remember and believe that we carry God's favor with us even in difficult times. We like to sing and rejoice because we're a chosen generation and a royal priesthood, and we should do that, rightfully so. We go high on the wings of faith when we receive a word from God or a promise or an assurance in our spirit. One time many years ago, I'll tell you more about it some other time, but I, I had, as it were, an audible voice speak to me in a, in a service that I was in. I walked for weeks on a cloud. I was on a high. I thought, man, I'll never come down. God has spoken to me. We love times like that. But then life hits us with its best shot. And we're like, God, things were going so right. I was on that spiritual cloud. I, I heard you speak to me. I heard your voice. And now everything has come crashing down around me. I know I have favor. I know I've heard from you. I know your anointing's on me, but my circumstances 
Don't feel anything like favor right now. It just takes one moment, one phone call, one conversation, and your world turns upside down. And oftentimes we have no control over anything that's happening. I want to preach to somebody at Grace Church today. Your circumstances may seem unfavorable, but you are not without God's favor in your life. You haven't lost the attention of God. His hand is not removed from your life. You are just in a place where favor requires faith. And so today I come against the lie of the enemy that says God has somehow abandoned you or somehow forgotten his promise to you. He hasn't forgotten you. You've just found yourself in a situation where favor demands your faith. I challenge somebody today, keep going back and looking at the sky for that cloud the size of a man's hand that signifies the abundance of rain that you've been promising, that, that you've been promised. I, I challenge somebody to keep trusting the promise God has given you, to keep believing in the plan God has for your life, even when the times are hard. I challenge you today, keep holding on in the dark what God has promised you in the light. One of the most significant experiences, spiritual experiences I ever had in my life, besides God speaking to me, and I forgot about it when times were the hardest. It, it was only after uh, we had come through uh, all that time that I, I spoke about Wednesday night uh, with Lu our son being diagnosed with leukemia, all of that, going to Memphis, flood lost our house, all that stuff. It was only after we came through all that that God kind of refreshed my memory and, and, and brought it back, and I was able to kind of put all the pieces together and, and, and understand. Many, many years ago, probably 10 or more years, uh, I volunteered. I just felt a little nudge. I, I felt like I should do it. I volunteered to drive the man of God to a revival meeting, to a service. He was uh, used uh, marvelously in the gifts, used in the prophetic, and I just I felt led to volunteer to be his, his chauffeur for that night, and so I did. I drove him to to another town. We had a wonderful time of fellowship uh, while we drove. Had an amazing service, and then uh, when it was time to come back to drive back, I'm I'm driving behind the wheel. We hadn't gotten out of the outskirts of town very long, and he just reached over and laid his hand on my shoulder. And began to prophesy. And, 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 and most of what he said that day, that night, I have forgotten. And I, and I don't say that. It, it's, not, it's not a bad thing. It was, it was general prophecy. It was nothing specific. It just, just that God ha had his hand on my life. That, you know, the, the, that there was a future. There was going to be open doors and things like that. That God would have for us in the future. But one thing I do remember that he said verbatim, even though I forgot it. Uh, in, in recent years, God brought it back to my mind. After all the prophecy, after all the, the amazing things that, laid ahead, that, that were yet ahead for myself and my family, he prophesied and he said, and you will walk a dark and lonely road to get there. Now, the Holy Ghost was so strong in the car, I kid you not, I had to pull over onto the shoulder. And just kind of have a little praise break. And I didn't really pay too much attention to the part about the dark and lonely road. I was just, ex just ecstatic 
that God cared enough to come down in that car and speak to me, that he knew my name, he knew who I was, and he was, he was telling me that there was a future. And so I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to the dark and lonely road part of it. But then as I testified Wednesday night, losing our house, son diagnosed with leukemia, we got up there to Memphis, Tennessee, and it was lonely. It was dark, and it seemed that there was no way to turn. I ask you today, was all of the things God prophesied and promised null and void? Were all of those things off the table? Had God changed his mind? Or were we just in a place where favor required faith? And I stand here today to tell you, your faith will take you through and get you to a place back where God promised you. I remember being on the mission field, uh, that the time we spent in Northern Ireland, the missionary there, Brother McFarland, he told us one time, he heard, he, uh, Brother uh, Bishop Joe Ellis had told him, uh, and, and he said, I, I tell people, I coach people, especially new to the mission field, he said, I tell them, don't make permanent decisions in temporary circumstances. And what happens is missionaries go to the mission field all fired up, and they're excited. The favor of God's on them. They've got a calling. They've got a passion. They've got an anointing. They're going to take their country for Jesus. And they get over there, and always, without doubt, it gets hard. It gets tough. It don't open up like they thought it was going to open up right away. And, and, and they'll, uh, they, it's not that they'll quit and go home, but they get discouraged, and they think about quitting and think about going home. And that's where the missionary said, don't make a permanent decision in a temporary circumstance. Don't make the decision to quit. Just because it got hard. It's going to come back. It's going to get better. And I'm telling you today, all that to say this. There is a pattern in Scripture. Anyone who's got, who God has his hand on. Anyone who God places favor on their life. The favor will always take you to a place that requires faith. We tend to think that when we have a God moment, a life-changing encounter, that it's only going to be... Uh, good times from there. But God will take you on a journey of highs and lows, of curved roads and narrow places in order to make you the man and the woman he's called you and designed you to be. Somebody needs to rise up in the house today and say, I am going to still have faith in God's favor on my life. Don't judge me on my circumstance now because my story hasn't concluded yet. Samuel anointed him king when he was just a lad. He was the youngest of seven brothers, and he was the one that kept the sheep and kept out of sight. He wasn't old enough to serve in the army, and he was not really on anyone's radar as having much potential to do anything. Yet David, the son of Jesse, was the one God chose to succeed Saul as king. 1 Samuel 16, 13, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. David was given favor of God in a special way. God's hand was on him, and he was chosen to succeed Saul on the throne. But understand, even though he was anointed, even though he was highly favored, he had to run for his life for years 
before he ascended to the throne. Filled with danger, filled with despair, filled with hard times. We could talk a long time about all of that. And I wonder in those hard times how David felt about the anointing on his life. How he felt about the favor on his life. I wonder how favor felt to David when he was hiding in a cave for his very life. I wonder how the promise royal seemed to David when he had to fake insanity to escape, to escape from a crazed assassin. I wonder if he remembered what it felt like to have anointing oil run down his face when he found Ziklag burned to the ground, his family taken hostage. These were moments in David's life when favor required faith. And many would have quit right there and lost their faith in God's plan, but not David. David believed and trusted in the favor and the anointing that God would fulfill his promise. And one day, God did fulfill his promise. We open up the book of 2 Samuel, and one of the first things we read from the very beginning of that book is that Saul and Jonathan are dead, and David is anointed king of Judah. But that, as much as that seems like a fulfillment, and it is, of what God had in store for David, that only began another set of problems and another set of issues. For all the anointing. For the man after God's own heart, the man who was destined to be king, he finally gets there. He finally is sitting on the throne. And somebody who is on Saul's side, who just won't give up the fact that God's favor has left Saul. His name is Abner. And Abner takes one of Saul's sons by the name of Ishbosheth. And Abner anoints Ishbosheth king because he wants the lineage to continue passing through Saul's bloodline. The Bible says that the house of David and the house of Saul fought for years, conflict, civil war, if you will, over this issue. Was it David or was it Ishbosheth? And they fought, and it was agonizing for David. It was a kingdom divided. They were by no means unified behind David's favor and David's anointing. And then it got worse from there because Abner, who had anointed Saul's son, as David's house strengthened and Saul's weakened, Abner realized what, that, David's, that favor was on David. So he gets with David, and he says, let's call a truce. Let's make peace. Let's, let's put an end to all this bloodshed. So David and, Ab David and Abner strike an agreement. And the Bible says twice that Abner left in peace. And David went back to his palace in peace. They had settled the matter. But Joab, who was David's top general, didn't like that David had made peace with Abner. So acting on his own, Joab calls Abner back as though he would give him a word from the king. And when Abner comes and says to Joab, yes, what is it? You know, is there more to be said about the peace agreement? Joab assassinates Abner in a moment of rage, in a moment of betrayal and treachery. And this brought David so low. By now, we know from Scripture, reading through chronologically, David was a man of character. 
especially when it came to the house of Saul. He had honored Saul. He had honored Jonathan. He had looked for ways to represent them and to, to honor them. And now it looked like David had dealt treacherously with Abner, even though he had not. The king, the great praiser of God, the man after God's own heart, the anointed, the man of favor, had been embarrassed in front of the entire nation into an extraordinarily complex and difficult circumstance even though he had nothing to do with it. And this is what David said in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 39. And this is our key today for dealing with hard times, even though we know we're favored of God. He says, and I am this day weak, though anointed king. This is the key for the child of God who knows they are favored of God, but knows that their circumstances look nothing like the anointing on their life. He said, this day I am weak. He did not try to sugarcoat it. He didn't pretend it didn't exist. It wasn't positive mental activity. David was in a very difficult circumstance. It was a bad day. But then he says, I am anointed king. Even in tragedy, even at the low point, even when it looked hopeless, David never forgot his favor. He still identified as God's anointed king. He reminded himself, I still walk in favor and God's hand is on my life. Don't judge me by my weakness today. Was he still anointed? Yes, he was. Was he still king? Yes, he was. Did he still have God's favor? Yes, he did. Oh, is there anybody in the house today that would say, Rejoice not against me, O oh mine enemy, for when I fall, I shall arise. Oh, I'm telling somebody today, you're walking in favor. Just keep walking. You're in God's will. Just keep walking. You're in God's anointing. Just keep believing in the favor of God. Oh, clap your hands to Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 The scripture refers to him as faithful Abraham. Sometimes we say he was the father of the faithful. Father Abraham, the faithful. I want to ask you a question today. And I want you to think long and hard about it before answering, because it is a trick question. Was Abraham faithful? Again, the scripture says... He is faithful, Abraham. Was Abraham faithful? The answer to that question, as far as I'm concerned, is it depends on what day you're asking about. In the matter of offering Isaac as a sacrifice, he set the bar for faithfulness. I don't know very many people that would take faithfulness to be willing to sacrifice their only son it was only the angel intervening that kept him from taking Isaac's life that day. But in the matter of waiting on the promised son Isaac, 
Not so much. He fathered another child through his handmaid, Hagar, through Sarah's handmaid, Hagar. If you check in with Abraham when it comes to building altars, I don't know of a more faithful altar builder than Abraham. In the matter of lying to the king concerning his wife and telling the king that she was his sister, it seems kind of cowardly to me and not very faithful. In surveying Abraham's life, I believe it is only fair to say that his faithfulness was kind of like yours and kind of like mine. It was a mixed bag. It just depends on what day you were talking about. But again, the scripture says Abraham was faithful. So how can that be? Let's unravel it. It's because God doesn't look at an isolated incident or judge us based on our weekdays. He looks at the entire scope of a lifetime. The Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was counting him for righteousness. In other words, Abraham said, I believe in the favor of God on my life. I blew it yesterday, but today I'm going to remember that I'm favored. I got ahead of God yesterday, but today I'm going to remember I'm favored. I'm going to believe His promises are still with me and my life is secure. And when God looked back over that kind of faith, He called, He put Abraham as one of the champions of faith. Was it because he was 100% faithful through and through? No, it was because he never stopped believing in the faithfulness and the favor of God on his life. Oh, I'm not going to forget the favor of God on my life. Don't judge me by my circumstance today. Don't judge me by what I'm going through today. God's hand is on my life, and I'm going through. Oh, if you believe that in the house today, clap your hands. So back to Mary today. Have you ever wondered if Jesus dropped by the house post-resurrection and had a conversation with Mary? It's possible. It could have happened. The Bible doesn't say. But what I do believe is there's enough context in Scripture. I think we can prove that Jesus, that Mary did see Jesus post-resurrection. I believe that. In Acts, there was a great multitude that saw him ascend. And then they went back to the upper room to wait on the promise of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says Mary was in that number. So I believe we can say she saw him post-resurrection. So I wonder then how she felt that day on the upper room when all of a sudden the whole story fell in place. She had known what it was like to carry the Son of God in her womb. But on that day, along with 119 others, she knew what it was like to have His Spirit dwelling in her, evidence and speaking in a language she had never learned. It turned out that for Mary, she was part of God's promise after all. It turned out that she was favored after all. She probably felt in that moment on the day of Pentecost talking in tongues that it was worth every labor pain, every discomfort of pregnancy, the agony of seeing Jesus die on the cross to be a part of the incredible plan of God for the kingdom of God to be established in the church. It took her faith, but she found she was favored of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. It's not over yet. You can still walk in favor even in a trial. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So as I begin to point towards a conclusion here and try to bring this in for a landing, so many times 
when we're in a difficult circumstance, difficult situation. We lose our way when we don't understand the reason why. That's the problem. That's why it's hard to keep the faith when we feel like we're going through a circumstance because we don't understand the why. God doesn't always answer the question. We don't always get the answers we seek. And there are some things we will never understand this side of heaven. But there is a perspective. And there is some understanding we can develop that will help us keep our faith knowing that God is working in our favor. And so for the next couple of moments, as I bring this in for Lanny, I want to talk to you about that. In 1991, the science community conducted an unprecedented experiment in the Arizona desert, and it was called the biosphere. The biosphere, 1991. They created a living environment of soil, trees, plants, and animals. They encapsulated it with a humongous glass dome, kind of like a, almost like a greenhouse in a sense, a huge glass dome. And they had all the necessary ingredients for life inside that dome. Purified air, water, light, healthy soil. And the idea was to create an imp- a perfect environment, perfect for growing conditions, for trees and plants and even hu- human beings. And people went and lived in the biodome for months at a time. And at first, everything went perfect. Everything was working well. But then, over time, a very significant problem developed. When the trees would grow to a certain height, they would fall over. And it took the scientists a very long time to figure out why this kept happening. Trees would grow, they'd get to a certain height, they would fall over. Why did this happen? Finally, they hit on the reason. They understood. The answer was lack of wind. Without the natural resistance of wind blowing against the trees, they could not grow stronger. Their roots would not go deeper. And they could not grow to their fullest accomplishment. And they would fall. Resistance is what makes us grow stronger. It causes us to put our roots down deeper. And so I submit to you today, your dilemma, your issue, your problem, the dark place that you're in has not come upon you because you've lost favor. It's come upon you because you have favor. It's not that God has forgotten His favor on your life. It's that He's working to accomplish something in you for His glory and for your good. And that's why Paul could write in Romans chapter 5, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. It's resistance. You'll never put your roots down. You'll never grow stronger without resistance. I ask you to stand with me this morning. There's a very interesting statement in the Word of God. It 
It's actually something that God said to Moses. And I don't know about you, but I've glossed over it, read over it quickly many times, and I never realized it until in light of this message. It's Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. God is poised to release the children of Israel out of Egypt. They're going to plunder the Egyptians, take all of that loot, and God's going to set them free and take them to their promised land. And on the night before God is to, to do all of that, he has, God comes down and has a little conversation with Moses. And I want you to notice what he says in Exodus 13 and 7. It came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. God led them not through the way of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. There would come a day when Israel would conquer Ai and Jericho, and they would go through their conquest to Canaan like a war machine. There would come a day in Israel's future when they would fight battle after battle against the Philistines many times. But that day, they were not strong enough. That day, they were not ready for war. They had to go through some things first. God had to work with them first. He had to train them first. They had to learn some lessons first. No one wants pain or difficulty. Nobody wants trial. Nobody wants the hard times. But when you do find yourself in one of life's painful places, remember, God uses resistance, difficulties, even pain to make us into the chosen vessel He has designed us to be. And it could be that God is forming you and He's working in you because He believes in you. So today as they begin to play and to sing, to lead us back into the presence of God in that way, I'm going to ask you to come. If you need anything from God, if you just come down to the front, if you need God to move in your life in any way, if you find yourself in one of life's places and you need God to take, to take uh, control and to take action, now is your moment. Now is your time. Let God work in your life today. Would you come, Grace Church, one more time? Would you come one more time and say, God, I need you. God, I'm open. God, I'll let you work in my life one more time. Oh, that's it. That's it. Come on, Grace Church. Come on, let's let God do a work in Jesus' name. Whatever you're going through, whatever it might be, no matter the pain, God has a purpose. God's working a greater plan. God's doing something for His name. Oh, come on, all across the building, would you do that today? In Jesus' name. Thank you. 